Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Ben James, and I'm joined by Stefan Thomas. Um, was planning just to be a, a general podcast talking about the Georgia game, but uh, we've got a bit of team news to talk about uh, after a bit of a surprise team announcement uh, yesterday, midway through an open training session. So um, we'll just crack straight into that, Steph. Um, six changes from the team that beat Australia. Uh, what are your general thoughts on the team? It's kind of as I expected, really. Um, I didn't think that Warren Gatlin would make wholesale changes because if if he'd changed the team almost entirely like he did against Portugal they, and then reinstated the team that beat Australia against uh, probably Argentina or, or Japan, then those players wouldn't have played a game for about 20 days, which, you know, that... That's a lot, you know, so I think he's he's wisely tried to keep the momentum going. Um, and, you know, it's a nod of respect to Georgia as well, who beat Wales less than a year ago. And, you know, as we saw against uh, against Fiji, you know, they, they are a team that can make life, life difficult for you. But he has tinkered a little bit. You know, there are a few players there with a point to prove. Dowie Lake being one of them, obviously went into the World Cup as well. He still is the co-captain, but many people, most people expected him because he had that that title to be the first choice, but obviously Ryan Elias has been excellent and Elliot Dee's really played well as well. So um, there's a big, big chance for him and he's he's going to need to show that, you know, we all know that he's great around the park, he's a great carrier, he's a great scrummager, he's a good leader, but it's that throwing into the line out, getting the set piece functioning, that's what he needs to show the coaches. Um, and also Tommy Raffel, you know, he, he was unlucky, supposed to start against uh, Portugal. Um you know, we know that Jack Morgan is nailed on to start, but it is a big opportunity for him. People forget, because Morgan's so good, the ref is a quality player as well. Um, likely it is he'll be on the bench in the quarterfinal, but it's a big chance for him to um, to show us what he's got. And another chance for Anscombe to, to build on on the performance against Australia. So um, on the whole, it's as I expected, really. Yeah, I think you look at those six changes and, and you know, we... we... Even if we weren't expecting um, Warren Gatlin to sort of drop that bombshell halfway through a training session, you could you could pretty much guess it. Um, Rio Dyer did media on on Saturday, and it feels like he's the sort of player that that, that Gatlin feels you can drop into a into a starting fifteen, and it's not going to make a difference to the quality. Um, same goes for someone like Dav Jenkins. I think at the minute, uh, obviously Reffel and Lake get the opportunities and, and we knew that Anscombe was going to start just because of where Bigger is in terms of his um, pectoral strain uh, Thomas Williams uh, starting Gareth Davis uh, getting a rest um, I guess that's a case of managing the two scrum halves you've got in the squad um, Gareth Davis actually sat out the open training session on Monday um, Alex King said that's just a load management thing but if it wasn't, if if you know, if there is something more there, then potentially we're looking at Sam Costello being the scrum half cover <laughs> off the bench on um, on Saturday, which which could be uh, interesting. Um, it's interesting he's gone away from that sort of trend he's had of the uh, the final place in the squad, um, the, the outside back cover on the bench. The first three games has been a winger. This time it's Mason Grady. That gives him a chance to impress. Obviously, yeah, that starts against Portugal, but hasn't really had a had an opportunity since. Um, I think, for memory, he did train a little bit on the wing uh, on Friday, 
uh, when we when we were watching that session. Um, as I say, didn't didn't get to see much of uh, Monday's session, largely because they decided to name the team midway through. So I had to had to run back to the media center um, to, to to sort of deal with all that. But yeah, I think there's there's little surprise in the fact that that, that Gatland has made few changes. Um, you know, obviously with the, they had they had four days off after that Australia game. I think a lot of the boys went to Disneyland Paris. Um, well, you know, we're walking around Versailles, the the sort of the, the palace and the gardens, and and just exploring France. A few a few actually went back to the UK. I think Tame Basham went back to see his uh, his child. Obviously, Adam Beard welcomed his third child. He didn't get back until. Sunday, so um, no surprise he's not in the in the team. Um, just given given how sort of late he he came back, he was meant to come back on f- Saturday, but uh, that flight was delayed uh, due to pilot fatigue. Um, but yeah, there's li- there's little in the way of surprises I think from this team. Um, Nicky Smith comes into the. Uh, the match day 23, he's someone who hasn't had many opportunities in this World Cup, hasn't he? No. Um, and I'm a bit shocked in in ways because as I've written throughout the season, you know, he's been one of the most destructive scrummaging losers in the URC. Look at some of the um, props he's come up against. You know, you look at, you know, he's he's destroyed the Montpellier pack twice. Um, he's done a job on Leicester. Um, I think he did a job on Ala Toa, the the Leinster prop as well. So he's he's obviously a guy who's in red hot form at regional level. But the feedback I got from a lot of people um, around Welsh rugby is that people have sort of doubts about his size. And I think perhaps you know Gar- that's what edges Gareth Thomas as the starter. And then off the bench you have Domachowski, who's uh, who's a bigger guy, more of a carrier. Um, if it was down to me, luckily it's not. I probably would go for Nicky Smith. In the twenty-three for the big games, but you know, because I think he's he's pretty um, he's great scrummage. He's he's good around the park, very good at the breakdown. But that that's the feedback I tend to get is around size. Um, but it's, it's a chance for him, obviously, off the bench to impress. But I think he'd have to do a lot to get into the squad for the for the quarter final. I think Gareth Thomas has been an unsung hero throughout the competition, or further back actually throughout the Pivac era. Even even in the in Wales' darkest days, he was a player who was consistently solid, playing well week in, week out. And I think, you know, for the quarter final against probably Argentina, you're probably still looking at Thomas and um and Domachowski. So I think Smith needs something special off the bench to to force his way in. Yeah, I think I think Gareth Thomas did really well in that Australia game. Um obviously the first few penalties went against him. I think Wayne Barnes was sort of uh suggesting that he was almost stepping out of the scrum. Which I, I mean, I don't, I don't know the the intricacies of, of the front row. My guess would be the case that he's he's maybe more of a left footed dominant scrummager compared to say Nicky Smith, who's right foot dominant. So whereas as a loose head, uh, Smith is probably almost dominant heading into into the sort of the hooker. Thomas is almost heading the opposite way. And if you're going up against a tight head who is naturally a loose head, in James Slipper. Then he's probably doing the exact same thing, where he's playing on that right side of the scrum, being right side dominant. So you've got two props there who are almost dominant, pushing outside of the scrum. So I guess that was maybe the case with that. Um, but he certainly adjusted to it, and when when they made those corrections, the, the Welsh scrum just 
got on top of the Australian scrum, which truthfully, I think I expected without Tanya Latupo and Will Skelton, but still the fact that they executed it so well and just did, did, did so much damage to that, that Wallabies pack was, was a really pleasing thing to see. So, um, yeah, I think there's no doubt that Gareth Thomas is the first choice. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity for Nicky Smith to see if he can force his way into the match day squad. It also it should also be said that Corey Domachowski, if you consider if you consider his first what nearly his first act in the World Cup was a yellow card. I mean, that could have very easily uh, blotted the copybook, um, but it didn't. So he's he's done very well. Obviously, the one of the most pleasing things, particularly um, given what Twitter's been like this week, is the fact that Wales are assured of their place in the quarterfinal. I feel like there's a lot of permutations going around at the minute, and I, it, it, it doesn't seem like World Rugby are particularly sure on how teams can qualify from the pool stages. Um, there's been a lot of clarification and, and things going around in terms of who can qualify from Pool A, who can qualify from Pool B, um, even Pool D. I, uh, sadly, I'm pretty sure that Samoa were, were out of the tournament. Uh, now, apparently, they can still qualify. <laughs> so, Yeah, but they, they need a miracle of biblical proportions. <laughs> I think we can rule them out. Yeah, exactly. But um, it does feel like maybe, I don't know, if, it seems like the goalposts are moving a little bit with, with, with sort of things. And, you know, there's a... There's all sort of talk about, you know, Ireland and Scotland and, you know, I mean, the question of match fiction is match fiction has even been raised with Jack uh, Nienaber, which is which is madness. Thankfully, Wales are completely away from that. They just need a point to top the group, um, which I mean. You've missed out uh, Uruguay as well. If they beat New Zealand by 80 points, then, uh, you know, they, they could be in contention as well. That so. is true. Yeah, yeah. it's... Um, I mean, I was I was at sort of the the World Rugby headquarters last week, the the day after the Australia game, uh, just doing a bit of work, and um, I think some of the World Rugby boffins were doing their permutations, and I, I genuinely heard someone say the sentence, "Well, what, what if Argentina beat Chile four hundred nil?" So no, nothing's nothing's off the table. <laughs> Thank, thankfully, they didn't uh, on the weekend. But yeah, as I say, Wales, they're through. They only need a point against Georgia to top the group, which, I mean, I know we lost against them last year, but I mean, you'd, you'd be feeling pretty confident that they're going to get a point. Um, but the day after that, in the same city, in, in Nantes, it's uh, it's Argentina, Japan, and that is a, a fascinating battle to sort of see who, more than likely, Wales will, will, will face in, in the uh, the quarterfinals. Um I'm quite looking forward to doing that game actually, and, and getting to see that. It'd be the first time I've seen a, a, a game outside of um, of Wales playing in this tournament. What, what have you made of those two teams, and um, who do you think Wales would would rather face? I think it, I think Wales would be confident of beating either side uh, at the moment. They got they found the winning formula again. They got confidence and momentum behind them. However, I think if they if they were forced to to decide, they'd probably go for Japan. Because even though Argentina have been quite poor in this World Cup, they, they were they were dreadful against England. They beat themselves almost. They weren't much better in the win against Samoa. But you look look at their, some of their performances over the last four years. You know they beat New Zealand twice. You know Wales haven't beaten the All Blacks since fifty three. To to put that into context for our, for our listeners, um, and then the sort they're the sort of team who 
you look at you see it's all, it happens often in the rugby championship. They lose a game by fifty points, and you think, ah, oh, they're not going to win next week. And then they go and beat Australia in in Sydney or or um, South Africa in um, you know uh, in Argentina. They're a team that can that can bounce back. And I just fear that Argentina got one big performance in them. And they have, in my opinion, they got the best goal kicker in the world in uh, Emiliano Boffelli. Um Japan aren't the same team they were four years ago. They have regressed. Um, albeit they have got a bit better as the competition has gone on. They're a bit more direct than they were in the past. They're not quite as creative. And I think Wales will look at Japan and think if we take them on up front um, and we're, we're physical, then we'll prevail. Um, so I think Wales would be comfortable beating both sides. But if they, they were really backed into a corner and they had to choose which one to play, they'd probably say Japan. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think they've got the game to sort of stifle both I think um, that first game yeah. against England, I think Argentina effectively showed that if you keep them at arm's length, they maybe don't have the attacking tools to break you down. Um, you know, my mind sort of went back to that, the victory um, over England at Twickenham last year. And if you actually look at that, most of Argentina, well, I think most of Argentina's points were, were sort of gifted to them from mistakes by England. Um and, you know, even even with that early red card, um, England didn't make the same mistake this time and they just kept them at arm's length, kept the uh, the scoreboard ticking over and and just just built a lead that, that Argentina just were never going to be able to sort of come back from. And we've seen Wales do that, obviously, against Australia in, in, in similar fashion, the way that they just built scoreboard pressure throughout that game. And, you know, even with one try to begin with, we had a 20-point lead. Uh, and you just knew the Wallabies did not have the tools to come back from that. Um, Japan is interesting because, as you say, they're not they're not the same team as four years ago. I think they've they've shown sort of sparks of that that attacking style, but it's it's just not really clicking. I think against England they created a number of opportunities. You know, they they sort of made those initial breaks, got behind the England defence, and then the next pass was off, or there was a knock on, or just, just the execution was lacking. So. It'd be interesting to see who we get. Personally, I'd rather get Japan just for the sake that Wales haven't played Japan since 2016. Whereas we played Argentina quite a few times in the last few years, so it'd be a nice, it'd be a nice change. But um, I can't, I can't imagine that the Welsh team are, are concerned. Either way, you know that they sort of they know they've known for a long time what side of the draw they're on, what 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 games they're likely to get, and they they know that you know relatively speaking the quarterfinals always going to be one of these teams and it's, it's the semi-final where things are going to really step up a level if they do get there um I mean on, on that side of the draw I don't, what's going to happen um could could Scotland cause an upset this weekend and, uh, and knock Ireland out well if you listen to any Irish rugby podcast or any Irish rugby TV station um they're already talking about, you know, facing New Zealand in the in the quarterfinals potentially. Um, you know, there was one. There's a headline in one of the um, Irish papers. I can't remember who wrote it, but it was something like why I think Ireland should pick the strongest team against Scotland. So if you're if you're Gregor Townsend, I mean, those reports, those headlines are go you know going to be super glued onto the walls of the the changing rooms. Um, I think Scotland have a chance because I think they're a team who 
they score a lot of points. They got some players who can create things like Finn Russell, uh, Van der Merwe is probably world class here. Darcy Graham's very good. I actually think they're a better team without Stuart Hogg in it. Um, I, I think King Horn brings. I think he's more of a team player. He's better foot. Uh, he's he's more of a playmaker. If you see what I mean, rather than an individual. Um, so I actually think I strengthened them in many ways. Um, but the problem with Scotland is they've got. I I don't know if they've got the mental capacity to get over the line against Ireland if they put themselves in that position because they've been the bridesmaids of the Six Nations for for quite a few years now. You know they've threatened to really break into championship contenders, but they've never really. There's been a, they've lacked a, a a killer instinct to do that, and I just think Ireland are just probably a bit too far ahead of them. That they're packed stronger up front, so that's one area that they're, they're more physical and. They're they're just they're just at a different level at the moment. So I think I think if Scotland are going to win, and, and and for any listeners, Scotland need to win by eight points, and Ireland not get four tries. And if they do that, then it's good by Ireland. Um, so I think I think for Scotland to win, I think they've got a game that can trouble Ireland hundred and ten percent. But have they got a game that can beat Ireland? I'm not quite sure. I think for Scotland to win, it would require Ireland being below par. And Scotland being at the absolute peak, so I, th- I think I think it'll be relatively competitive and close. But I just think this Ireland team is too good for them. Yep, and and it's also worth remembering that France could go out, <laughs> albeit yeah. they'd have to lose to an Italy team that just had uh, ninety six points put on them by by the All Blacks, which is one of the worst performances I've seen for a very long time. Yeah, it was, and 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 also like pe- people. Sorry, pe- people have got to remember, like Italy have been in the Six Nations for twenty years now. Like they they got two professional teams in the URC. They they, they shouldn't be losing by ninety odd points to the All Blacks. I'm not saying they should be beating them. You know, I expected New Zealand to win comfortably, but to, it it was an embarrassment to Italian rugby and the Six Nations. And a, a lot of the tries New Zealand scored, look, you can only beat was put in front of you. They played well, but they were just simple one and one missed tackles. It's just, you know, it's, it's just not good no, enough, no. is it? I mean, we haven't, had a, we haven't had a 100-point game, I think, since the 03 World Cup. Maybe one in 07. Um, I can't quite remember. But it's been a long time since we've had 100 points put on a team in a World Cup. And, you know, there's so much talk about building that gap between Tier 2 and Tier 1. And we've seen Portugal play brilliantly in, in this, in Pool C. And, you know, then we've seen teams you know, not bridge that gap so well. Romania's points difference is going to be horrendous come the end of the tournament. They might break the record on that. I'm not I'm not sure. Um, France nearly put 100 points on Namibia, but the fact that Italy were nearly, you know, conceded a century of points against the All Blacks is just, just shocking, given the fact that they've been sitting at that top tier of European rugby for, you know, 23 years. You know, they don't, they don't have... They don't have the issues that the, the tier two nations face in terms of lack of preparation and, and games between World Cups. So, just a, just a shocking performance. Um, oh, I know, but Georgia and Portugal would kill for the opportunities Italy have had um, in the in the Six Nations. And like with Italy, like if you look at the last Six Nations, you think right, you know they came close to beating Scotland, pushed Wales hard. Should probably should have beaten France competitive against Ireland. You'd think, and their age great teams are really improving. Some good players coming through, and you think, you know, they're turning the corner here. But you know, they, they we've been here before, haven't they? And they just you think they're turning things around and they're kicking on, and they don't. And just 
to lose by that margin, you know, questions need to be asked, I think. Yeah, I think just just speaking generally, we need to find a way of getting tier two teams playing more top level matches between this this World Cup and the next one. Portugal are a great example. There's so much room for growth with rugby in Portugal. Yeah. This, this this current team is 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 largely all all amateur players. Um, yeah, you know, may, maybe the ideal scenario would be to have that promotion relegation playoff uh, under the Six Nations with another tournament. Um, but you're never gonna you're never gonna get that signed off because. If a team from the Six Nations ever did get relegated, then the likelihood is the union would be bankrupt within a year. Um, yeah, so exactly. going to say, and I, I think even at the moment you'd you'd see the case where I don't think if you put a two-legged playoff in, I, I still don't think Portugal or Georgia or whoever knocking at the door would get in. But just mm-hmm. just the mere fact that they might, I think, or, you know yeah. what, you know, rugby is. Ultimately dictated by self interest and, and and finances, and and so nothing's. I don't think anything's going to change on that front. Um, so yeah, it, it it'll be interesting to see if anything change. You know, we we sort of see Tonga. I thought Tonga looked like they were starting to hit their straps against South Africa because they've had games against quality opposition in this World Cup. Whereas now they'll probably they'll go a long time without really having that. Um, yeah, there just, 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 just needs to be a, a clearer plan in place. And it, yeah, it just doesn't feel like we're, we're going to see that um, for a long time. Even even Georgia, obviously, who are Wales are playing, I mean, they're going to have a, a sort of similar four years now because I think they, they can't they can finish third in this pool. So that's, that's, that's them missing out on automatic qualification for the next World Cup. So they'll have to qualify for that. It'll be interesting to see how Georgia look to finish this this World Cup. Um, speaking to people at the start of the tournament, some people seem to think that they'd be targeting this game. Obviously, having beaten us, you know, eleven months ago, whatever it was, they, they thought we'd be, they'd be targeting it. I, I don't know if that's the case. I think they'd have targeted the Wallabies game because um, I'm not I'm not sure that the, the sort of the depth is there in this in this Georgian team at the minute, and I think they sort of. First, first up, first up was their best opportunity. As it turned out, I think they've actually probably, in some ways, improved as the tournament's gone on. I think Fiji was their best performance to date. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how how they finish. Four years ago, obviously Wales played them first up in Japan and and put them to the sword really ruthlessly, really efficiently. Just got the tries early on and just just took the game away from them. They'll be hoping for something similar this time. Uh, you, you'd think uh, they don't. They don't want to get dragged into too much of a game here. They just want to, you know, build build that early sort of separation on the scoreboard, and then just keep them at arm's length. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how how that goes in terms of having had this 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 weekend off this 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 sort of this bye week. Um, it was certainly a longer session. On Friday, their first session back, I, you know, there was a few drop balls to begin with, and and then Warren Gatlin was very involved in the session. So you you get the impression that he wasn't happy with where the levels are at, having come back off four days off. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how they sort of pick that up as the as the week goes on, and and whether they get back to sort of the levels that he's demanding of them. 
I think I think with Georgia, um, I agree they have actually got better as the tournament's gone on. But in in all all three of their games, obviously their their pack is strong. We know that that's no secret. And they did a job on Fiji there, uh, or they they held them for as long as they could. But they've actually created a lot of opportunities behind the scrum as well in all three games. But their their execution has been really poor. Um, you know they they should have beaten Fiji really. They created some opportunities opportunities against Australia they didn't take and they should have been out of sight by half time against Portugal. Um, but you know the last pass didn't go to hand or the the decision making was just not good enough. So they are a team that can cause Wales problems. But as I said earlier, you know the fact Gatland selected a very similar team is resisted wholesale changes. Um, I think Wales have got that continuity and momentum and they should win this comfortably. I'm quite excited and I'm pleased that he selected Tompkins and North again, albeit if one of them gets injured, then they're in a bit of trouble for knockout stages. But Tompkins, for me, has been um, has been a revelation this World Cup. Yeah. He, he really has. And he's he, he punches above his weight physically in defence and in terms of carring, but he's just brought a different dimension to the Welsh backline. Ever since he, he was selected by Wayne Pivak in 2020, he's had his moments. We, we can see what he offers, but it's always been a case of, does he actually fit into the game plan effectively? And I perhaps naively thought, oh, Gatlin would go for Johnny Williams or a bigger centre that perhaps he didn't fit that mould. But Alex King and, and Gatlin have found a way to get the best out of Tompkins and, and North as a partnership. And they've been absolutely crucial, um, Tompkins especially. So um, I, I, th- I think with those two in midfield, with Anscombe at 10, um, I'd fear for Georgia, to be honest. Yeah, and I think that that lends itself to how Wales attacked Georgia in 2019. 2019, they noticed that there was a, a sort of deficiency with how Georgia defended their line-out, um, at the tail of their line-out specifically. Um, they just sort of left gaps at the back of the line-out and they just worked it and put Josh Adams through gaps. Uh, and we've seen Wales' sort of line-out attack from, from halfway be really efficient in this World Cup and that, that's all down to, to Nick Tompkins really um, mm. and it's interesting because you know if I think back to the Six Nations obviously Joe Hawkins started those first four games even having two playmakers in that in that midfield with with Bigger and Hawkins it felt like things were getting there you know, it was taking a bit of time to, uh, to sort of get there uh, and you know I think if look if Hawkins had been available and that's another can of worms I'm sure that, that you know things would have clicked for him but it's credit to Tompkins that he's come in, basically had one game at the end of the Six Nations. He started, he started obviously that that game in Paris at the end of the Six Nations with North. He's then not played with North um, through the warm ups. Come into the the Fiji game, but just just the decision making he's making, sort of right on right on the game line. Like he, you know, he's getting smashed every time. But he's 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 putting North and he put Jack Morgan into space for that try. Just making so many good decisions in terms of tip on passes and 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 bringing the ball to the line. Um, I mean, I spoke to Rio Dyer about it on the weekend, and you know, he just said what a tough cookie he is that he just continually does that, and he's getting hammered time after time. But you know, those sort of strike moves, when you execute them well, there's very little the defense can do, uh, and I think we're seeing that now and. That they're executing it so well, and it's simply because Tompkins is is taking the ball so close to contact. So, 
yeah, the, the 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 more the more Wales do that, and and the more Nick Tompkins does that, the better. Because you know we're seeing that even with even with virtually the same lineout moves that they've run in those sort of two games that he started, Fiji they scored off the first one. They ran the same exactly the same pattern. Thirty seconds into the Australia game, set the trap. Then they they run the same pattern, but give the inside ball to Jack Morgan. That's another try. And then they run the exact same pattern in the second half, and they put North through a gap. If you can, if you can run that same pattern four or five times, and the defense still can't defend it, then it's it's not it's not the case that it's you know something that you can necessarily work out. It's just the case that it's just brilliant execution, and that ultimately within those sort of split seconds, there's little you know you just you just overloading the defence with options and you're more than likely if you pick the right options you're going to get results out of it and that's what Nick Tompkins is doing Yeah absolutely I think we forget as well you know he, he's he been a, a key member of Saracen's squad for a number of years and that's one of the most professional and tough environments in, in European rugby um, you know you look at the success they've had before the salary cap um, situation Um and even since, you know, they, they've they've that's that's a strong environment. And, and unless you're highly professional and really tough mentally, then you ain't gonna last there. So I think that's probably something that Warren Gacken respects as well. Because with with Joe Hawkins, he's a real talented player, but people forget how young he is, and I think his error rate was a bit too high. Um, obviously, that would have got better the more he played. But Tompkins is a more is a more experienced player. Um, I, I just think you are seeing some of that um, Saracen sort of Wolfpack mentality rub off as well. He, he just fits into what Wales want to do The in terms of the sort of narrative that Gatlin is pushing about people, the players having gone to hell and back during the training camps and digging in. And Tompkins typifies that because that's like the sort of Saracen's mentality. So I think there's that side of it as well. And, you know, you look at the Fiji game, I mean, we we go back. I don't want to open too much of a can of worms. But we go back to people saying that the ref didn't uh, didn't favour Fiji, but the ref had uh, you know really uh, taken a, a close look at some of those hits on Tompkins. Then uh, you know could have Fiji could have been down a couple of men because uh, Radradra I think took his head off once. So he's really brave, isn't he? That's the point I'm trying to make. And uh, yeah, I think he's uh, he's a huge asset to this team. If he he's one of Wales' most important players now, he's up there with Farletau. Um, bigger um, Louis Rissamit, uh, George North, etc. Because even though they, you know, they got Johnny Williams, he's a different type of centre. So if Tompkins went down, the attack would have to they'd have to rethink a lot of the attacking plays. I think. Yeah, they 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 ran different lineout options with Johnny Williams against Portugal. I don't know how much that was in terms of setting traps for Australia. You know, running a sort of different lineout option and then coming back to those sort of. Uh, second receiver sort of decision-making options that they did with Tompkins in, in the Fiji game. I think the pleasing thing is they, they've shown that they're really versatile with their line-out attack. You know, we've seen different ways that their mall game has looked really good. Um, they're, they're still doing the sort of uh, sort of little carries around the corner and then using a, the winger as a pick-and-go option in the tight. They can just play it straight to 12. They can get it wide. You know, there was one thing where they just completely bypassed Tompkins against Fiji and got the ball out to re in space. 
that's that's testament to what Alex King has done. I think it's just just they they, they look like they've got options on on starter plays at the line out, and it'll be interesting to see how that progresses through the tournament. Um, because I think that's going to be key to 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 Wales doing well. I think they're going to be the sort of team as they get into the the, the knockout stages that they're, they're not they, they're going to be hard to beat. Is is the the long and short of it? They're going to you know, looking at sort of the way Mike Forshaw is sort of categorizes defense and the metrics he uses, they're just going to be probably, they're going to make a lot of tackles. They're going to do a lot of hard work. And then when they get opportunities, they're going to try to be clinical. And that's, that's how they're going to beat teams the same as it was four years ago in many ways. Um, and it, in, in a weird way, it's probably more suited to this tournament because of the, just the, the, the sheer amount of the downtime between games. Whereas you think, you think last last time, like Wales were limping into that semi final with South Africa, yeah. um, you know, touch wood. It, it won't be the case this time round, just because of the just the amount of gaps. You know, the, the, you know, basically every every game now is a seven day turnaround. Um, yeah. You know, starting from this weekend, Wales are potentially playing in the next four weekends. So this is this is where it gets serious, I think, in terms of <laughs> that. That's where that that theory gets tested on whether. Wales can sort of keep up the physicality. They've made 500-odd tackles in this tournament, about 150 more than any other team. The next four weeks, they don't want to be doing that again. And I think that's... This is it now. This is where we get into the uh, into the serious stuff. Um, starting this weekend with Georgia, thankfully there's there's no real jeopardy on it. But um, it then kicks, starts us into, into the knockout stages and... Uh, yeah, it's a relief that we don't have to to worry too much <laughs> heading into this weekend. Yeah. yeah, it certainly makes it easier for us, doesn't it? <laughs> As journalists, Indeed, but, yeah. um, no, I, th- I think um, that's a good point. Like, obviously, like Wales, Wales' defence has been outstanding. Massive credit to Mike Fulshaw. Wales are a team that can sort of take pressure and still come out on top to an extent. But against the better teams, say they play Ireland or New Zealand in the semi-finals, they they don't want, as you said, they don't want to be making that number of tackle either. Uh, that that num- yeah. you know, the tackles in in that sort of um, in those numbers, because if Ireland or New Zealand have the ball that Fiji had, then you'd expect them to do a lot more with it, for example, um, and be more disciplined. So Wales have got to got to you know think about that long and hard as well. I think, but yeah, I think they they are in a relatively good place going into these knockout stages. Absolutely, and, and there's one one last point I'm sure I want to make, which I'm surprised Warren Gatland hasn't made yet because Ian Foster made it on the weekend. The ball in playtime for that Ireland South Africa game was 27 minutes, and Foster made the point about you know he made that point after they beat Italy with a with a higher ball in playtime, and I think he basically said, look. They're two very different games. I'm not really sure if he truly believed what he was saying in terms of one's better than the other because they, they, they beat an Italy team that basically surrendered. But may, you know, are Ireland and South Africa as effective in a game where the ball in playtime is, as it was in the Wales-Fiji game, 38 minutes? You know, Gatlin made that point about Australia having low ball in playtime 
maybe in his head he's thinking if we can keep the ball in play time high against an island or a South Africa, they won't be quite as effective in, in, in what they want to do. Whether that's enough, that's, that's another thing because they've been at a different level to us for, for 18 months now. Mm. But yeah, it's a good. That's, good that's, that'll, that'll certainly be something in his thinking. But thankfully, we don't have, we don't have to worry about that until a couple of weeks down the line. First up, Georgia, and then we can start worrying about the quarterfinals. Um, and of course, you can follow all the build up to this game on the weekend on Wales Online. If you have enjoyed the podcast, do make sure to drop it a review uh, wherever you do listen to it. And until the next one, goodbye. <laughs>